Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. And, um, you know, sometimes you hear this expression, it's just too good to be true. Isn't that right? Like you've probably come across a scam if you've been surfing the internet or something, or you get an email in and it says just this, or you get an SMS and it says, just dial this number, you've won 100 million, you know, something crazy like that. And you go, that's too good to be true. And it probably is. (laughs) It's just not true. But uh, when we get to talk about what we're going to talk about today, the good news, the gospel is a little bit like that. It is too good, but it is true, absolutely true. For into the human plight of rebellion and selfish independence from God, this creator who is offended and grieving lays aside his majesty and he becomes like one of us. And we get to celebrate that at Christmas. Emmanuel, with us, God. And this series has been pretty much about being a disciple and uh, about hope that comes from discipleship. And we've mainly been looking at it from Mark's account and Mark's gospel. And um, we're going to look at Mark today. I think the past couple of weeks, Pat, as he's allowed to do, wandered off into Luke. But that's okay. Yeah, he's, he's the boss. He's allowed to do that. But uh, I want to look today at the opening section of, uh, of Mark. And um, it may well leave us exclaiming when we've gone through this today, it's, it's too good to be true. But I hope your response this morning will be, it's true. And it's so, so good. Mark is one of those stark, tell-it-as-it-is writers. If you want more detail or you want to know more bits and bobs, then you've got to go read somewhere else. Uh, as for Mark... He just tells it like it is. Here's the facts. You go deal with it. He's just stark. And Mark 1.1, he starts off and he writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I want you to understand the culture into which Mark is writing. You know, he's, he's probably one of the first or the first writer of an account of what happened when Jesus was on earth. They reckon that he probably was writing around AD 50, just about 20 years or less from the time that Jesus was walking about, and he writes this account. And he's writing into a culture that it seems almost that God's been silent for so long. And the ruling authority, just anything that they do just seems to go. And the people are feeling pretty afflicted. And and the promises of God just seem to be eroded. And the occupying government is pagan. They have no concept or knowledge of the one true God other than in an idol. The God of the Jews is just oblivious. They're oblivious to him. What's more, the religious leaders, the community leaders, have got this fakeness about them. They look like they're holy, but actually they've laid these oppressive rules and regulations on the people to grind them down into the dust of despair. 
And we join the story this morning just where there's like this wake-up call. And maybe God is still interested because in the land there's this call to prepare. There's something new happening. There's something new coming. There's a deliverer coming. And there's this dude who's dressed in camel hair and eats locusts and honey and he's, and he's out declaring this. Hey, folks, get ready. Something's happening. He's got the overtones of this superhero bloke. And he's standing out there and the people are something stirring within them and they're flocking out and they're hundreds and thousands. And they're coming to see this guy and they're listening to his message. But then the superhero gets arrested and thrown in prison. The occupying king has just chucked him in prison. We pick up the story at verse 14 of Mark 1. After John, that's the prophet dude, was put in prison, Jesus held a protest. No. He organized a petition. No. He gathered a paramilitary force. No. Oh, surely he did something. I mean, they are related after all. John's in prison. Jesus do something. No, the scripture says he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Interesting reaction to bad news, isn't it? Some testosterone high tyrant has just imprisoned the local hero. This signpost to Jesus. I mean, he's a good guy. Come on, Jesus, you've got to do something. But Jesus is off to Galilee with good news. So what makes this apparent ignoring of John's plight so important? Well, verse 15 says, he declares, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe the good news. You see, there's more than John's message here of sort your life out and turn from rebellion and be forgiven. No, this is another level and it encompasses everything about John's message and a whole lot more. This is about kairos, this word, time, it's time. It's a window of opportunity. You're in the moment, people. The kingdom of God has come near. It's right next to you. Repent, in other words, change your mind. Change the way you're thinking from hopelessness to hope. From the lie of abandonment by God to the truth that God is near. Change your thinking. Believe the good news. What good news? This is good news. The kingdom of God has come near. The rule and reign of the king is near. What's that look like, you say? Well, I told you, Mark's pretty stark. So he doesn't say much about this. And if you want to know, and I want to just take you to another writer for a second. I want to take you to Luke. Because when Luke recounts this period of Jesus' life, he talks about Jesus standing up in the synagogue in Galilee. He did this lots. But he stands up in the synagogue in Luke 4. And it's around this time. And this is what he does. He reads Isaiah 61. And this is what he declares. Listen to this. 
The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Mm. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You need to sit at home with God alone with this chapter. Go read it up and sit with God and say, God, show me what this looks like. This is good news. This is the God of heaven intervening in our earth, in our world. And he's turning absolute ruin and destruction to hope and life. You need to let that word permeate your being. Because our world today needs it. We need it. Such contrasting language. Back to Mark. Mark 1, 16 through to 20. Ah, Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Hmm, fishermen, fishermen for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John on a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee, left the family business in the boat, and hired men and followed him. Simon and Andrew fishing on the lake. James and John preparing to go fishing, mending the nets. And all four of them leave the task at hand and they're off to follow Jesus. Well, wouldn't you love to be the media crew who goes to interview these four turkeys, these four guys? Wouldn't you like to go? On behalf of KC News at Nine, can you imagine it? Can you imagine interviewing them? Hey guys, what happened? How's it going? What's it been like? Oh, I can hear Simon and Andrew then responding, oh, oh, we were just doing the mundane, you know. We were just fishing, going to market, selling a few fish, eating a few fish. And James and John jump in and go, yeah, we were just mending the nets, doing the arduous task of preparing things to go fishing. Honestly, man, it just seemed such a dead-end job until Jesus came by. And now everything has kind of changed. You know, it's not much fun talking to fish, but now we're talking to real people. And we're involved in their lives, and we're watching, and we're learning amazing things from Jesus. We're helping them out here and there. We're picking up breads, baskets of bread and, and stuff. But, but we see some amazing, amazing things, and, and lives changed. And listening to him teach, wow, it's amazing. He says some crazy things, like they're like riddles. But then whenever we're alone with him, he kind of explains it. Kind of. We get it sometimes. It's deep stuff, you know. When the kingdom of God comes near the workplace, things change. These guys' perspective completely changed. 
And when the kingdom of God comes near your workplace and my workplace, things change. You see, you may not leave your physical place of work to follow Jesus, but he calls you to have a whole new perspective. And what might seem to you as the mundane will become a mission. What might seem to you as arduous, tedious, will become an adventure. Maybe you haven't realized it just yet, but actually, if you're a disciple, you carry this kingdom. Yay! You're the one who walks in the dust of Jesus. A disciple used to see them walking up the road. And as his dust went up, they're walking so close. It's like a road train. They're walking in his dust. They're watching everything he does. And as he brought the kingdom, then he snits you and I. And we carry this kingdom. Now you say, <clears throat> I'm in the house. You don't know what my workplace is like. Hmm. Hey, doesn't matter if you're a homemaker, if you're an executive, if you're a worker, if you're a student, if you're a grandparent, if you're a carer, whoever you are, wherever you are, you carry this kingdom. And when this, oh, did I hear an amen at last? <laughs> and when this kingdom is brought near to people, things happen. You say your workplace is oppressive? Try spending some time with God and then carrying the peace and the power of his presence with you into that workplace and release it. When I was an operational paramedic, I used to get into the back of my vehicle in the morning and uh, you had to check all your vehicle out, make sure everything's there. You don't want to go somewhere with, you don't have the right equipment, so you made sure everything was there. But I used to sit in the back of that ambulance and I used to say, Lord, here we are today. This is our workplace. And Lord, everyone that comes into the back here, I want them to feel and know your presence and your peace. <laughs> it's just God. He just comes near. And I used to watch how God used to touch people's lives through little old me. He just came near. See, when the kingdom comes near, things change. But we've got to change the way we're thinking. Repent. There's a window of opportunity here. And into your workplace, you can bring the presence of God change tomorrow or the next day. But maybe in a week, maybe in a month or two months, you'll come in here and you'll say, Hey, Caleb, come here to tell you what happened. Yeah, the mundane becomes a mission. The arduous becomes an adventure. You carry the Holy Spirit, disciple. Bring Jesus. Bring the kingdom of God. Be intentional and things will change. Next, Mark tells us about a synagogue experience. Mark 21 to 28. And you can read the story through there. He goes into the synagogue and he starts to teach. And the people are going... Wow, where did he come from? 
teaches with such authority. Like he knows what he's talking about. Like it's not like the scribes, the guys that, that normally stand up. No. When the kingdom comes near religion, things change. The people are amazed at his authority, his teaching. Now, I need to set the scene for you about a synagogue. You need to get this. The synagogue is like, um, like this. It was the local place where the community gathered together, like the community center. You know, people come here. They do conferences and things here, so that's where people come. And that's what the synagogue was like. And every Sabbath, they used to gather together like this. Because uh, Jerusalem was over the hills and far away. And that was where people generally had to go to worship. But in the synagogue, they could come and worship. So they would gather together, and uh, there'd be a few prayers. And then somebody would read from the Torah or or the Scriptures. And when they did, then, um, yeah, one of the scribes, the local scribes, would get up and suck it to them. Give it to them about the law. Hmm. Yeah. It was a bit of a routine. The local religious leaders uh, were pretty oppressive. You can read the accounts and you hear how they had been condemning and putting weight on the backs of the people. And Jesus toasted them for it. Can you imagine the scene when Jesus starts teaching that that Sabbath? Like he actually knows what he's talking about. Can you imagine what happens when he starts to talk to them about the law that normally beat them up? When he starts to talk about the law as the nature and the character of God and how he is so devoted to them and that's what the law is actually all about. It's not about you keeping the law. It's about you understanding this is the nature, the character of God. When he says don't commit adultery, it's because he's totally devoted to you, his people. And suddenly they start to sense we have value and worth. They're kind of amazed. How would you like to have been there the next Sabbath when he wasn't there? (laughs) That would have been tricky. But sitting in amongst them that Sabbath day is one of them. You know, one of the regulars. He's got an impure spirit. Nobody seems to have noticed before this spiritual grubby individual until he's confronted with Jesus teaching and authority. Now let me explain a little bit about an impure spirit. Sometimes the word impure and demonic are are, are interchanged. There seems to be some little difference. We're not going to bore you with the details. I'm actually not 100% sure what the difference is. But we just need to know that when it uses the word impure, what it actually means. It means unclean. It means contaminated. It means dirty. And when an impure spirit has got, how it displays, it's those characteristics of contamination. It hides the original. It restricts usefulness. And it doesn't like to be exposed to hope and life and change. Because it's really quite content with the status quo. 
The thought of a loving God calling broken, fallen people back to a deep relationship and intimacy with him is repulsive. They can't stand it. So he starts shouting out, objecting, and seeking to spoil. But the very one who teaches authoritatively is the one who boots that spirit out. You normally find that whenever something is happening in that evil spirit realm, that just before it's about to exit, it gets a bit exhibitionist. Do we have that? Impure spirits? Demonic amongst us? It's not popular. It's not very proper even in our culture, is it? In the 21st century to discuss such things. I mean, we're out of the dark ages, aren't we? Right? Talk like that. Some may brand you as a freak or a nutcase. Eccentric. Or... Yes, there is an awareness of, of these things, Caleb, but, but let's not talk about it, eh? <laughs> and among us? Never. Well, let me ask you it another way. How many of us have symptoms of restriction, of masked behavior, habitual contamination or addiction, restricting usefulness, and a sense of helplessness. I can't kick it. You see, we all have wounds and openings where the kingdom of darkness has found access and sometimes authority to dog our lives. Getting me to believe lies and even deny the existence of evil forces and spirits and influences. So they get to run amok, unheeded, ignored in our very proper society. I'm not saying you're all demon-possessed or I'm demon-possessed. Let's cut that one off right there. But we need to recognize that there is, you know, when something goes wrong, who are we going to blame? Let's blame God. It's all your fault, God. Why didn't you intervene? Like John ended up getting beheaded. Jesus, why didn't you get him out? Do something, God. We forget there is a kingdom of darkness that is opposed to the kingdom of light. And Jesus said... He just wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you. James says he goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He is a merciless enemy. And he has a cohort that follow. Jesus silences that spirit and commands it to leave. And Linda and I have been involved in inner healing ministry for some years now and restoring lives to right relationship with God for some years. And over the past year or so, uh, God has really been challenging me in this area not to ignore this aspect of infiltration. I've ministered to people who have suddenly become unable to get words out. 
because of an interfering spirit or a religious spirit. I've had evil spirits or the demonic scream in my face right up to almost they touched my nose, but they couldn't because the angelic of God protected me. And they're screaming and yelling, but they cannot penetrate. I ministered to a young guy once who had a just something in his family line. Dogged by oppression. And that spirit had so much. Oh, he's a beautiful believer. That had just latched onto his life. We had to kick it out. And out it went. You see, this is real. Don't gloss over this. We do at our peril. The religious spirit is very much alive in our our church gatherings. It's that spirit that goes, let's just leave things alone. Let's stick to the status quo. Makes up rules and regulations just that become some sort of exclusive group. May God help us to teach with his authority and teach like he teaches so that we don't become embroiled in the religious Oh, this is good news. This is such good news. Because when the kingdom of God comes near religion, things change. Mark's going to keep demonstrating this to us. And the next one is, when the kingdom comes near debilitating illness, things change. When the kingdom, that you read this section from Mark 1, 29 to 34, and you find when the kingdom comes near debilitating illness on a sick and controlled community, things change. When I was preparing this, uh, part of me was crying out to God, God, get somebody else to deliver this. This is too hard. And then he would keep pushing me back to Moses and saying, remember what I told Moses? Talk. And I feel like there are times I've been disappointed and skeptical of healing. But I can't reconcile that approach with true discipleship and the biblical teaching of Jesus. Just because my experience doesn't prove it, it doesn't mean it is false. That's a whole hornet's nest if I go there. That means things are limited by my experience. But you say, we prayed. He or she still died. I know. I've done that. You say, I prayed, but nothing happened. We asked the Lord to intervene, and it didn't quite work out. It didn't happen. We fasted. We prayed. It didn't work. I prayed. And and something happened with that one, but I prayed for this one, and nothing happened. The agony of defeat. And what do we do? We quit. Don't we? I have, at times. 
And when the disciples couldn't or the demons wouldn't, Jesus pointed to a need for a deep well of power of prayer. And if you read Mark 9, you'll hear him talking about belief. And the inference seems to be that we need that deep well also. And when Jesus was asked a very potent question about persistence, he asked a question. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? Ouch. Unbelief's a killer. It's a real killer. Hebrews 3.12 says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. You see, the function and the power of the, of the kingdom of God coming near is that what is disabled becomes enabled. And it seems to me that there is a need for an intimacy with God and knowing and being known. How did Jesus, as a man empowered by God, do what he did? You know, I don't have all the answers nor do I have time to deal with every aspect that I've learned over these years. But in a word, I believe it's intimacy. If I put it in a sentence, I'll say I believe it is relationship with the Father. Prayer. Not some ritualistic babble of words, but a two-way conversation about talking and above all, listening. To add to that, can I tell you again and remind you about John 14, 12? When Jesus said to the disciples, you will do greater things than these. I had a spiritual dad back in Northern Ireland. For over 20 years, he poured his life into me. His name is David. I honor him today. He's still alive. He's about 20 odd years my senior. And from that time I was uh, in my early 20s, just when I got married to Linda, we went to another church and he took me under his wing. He was a successful businessman. He was a church elder and um, he had so much wisdom. And I used to meet with him. I, 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 we used to walk together every week. Just about every week we went for a walk together and we just shared everything. You know, guys, it's really good to share everything with another guy. And we shared everything about our wives, about sex, everything. We shared it. It was good. It was a deep bomb, but he poured his life into me. And one day, not long before, when God was stirring things within me, I can't tell you the whole story right now, but I remember sitting outside our house and I was sitting with him in the car and we were talking about the scriptures and things and he quoted this to me. This was my mentor. And with tears running down his face, he looked at me and he said, Caleb, what does that mean? God brought us to Australia. I had no idea what I was saying when I used to tell people this. God brought us to Australia so that I could encounter him in a whole new way. I had no idea what I was talking about, but God intervened in our lives. 10, 12 years ago, and totally changed things. 
And when you read John 14, 12, it's not just about trying to find the spectacular. For the context of John 14 is about knowing the Father and intimacy with God and the community of love. Luke records in Acts, he records about the clothing of the apostles. And just like Jesus' garments, when people touched them, they got healed. He records about the shadow of the apostles falling on people, and people got healed. Do you think God has suddenly turned the power down? No. No. He's the same. And it comes to say that this story will be told and demonstrated with signs and wonders. Something happens when the kingdom of God comes near. Linda and I were reflecting this morning, just before we came here, about John G. Lake. Start of the 1900s, space of five years, over 100,000 healings and miracles recorded and medically proven. Oh God, do it again, do it again, do it again. Our hospitals are bursting at the seams. I heard a statistic this week that in 10 years' time, we need one and a half million hospital beds. We haven't got a chance. Oh, yeah, we have. Haven't we? Something happens when the kingdom of God comes near. When we change the limited lie-based way we think, And that bounds off limited experience and relationship with God. Something happens when we change the way we think and believe the good news. God is not interested in a casual relationship. He wants deep commitment. Not a group of people who come to him with a shopping list of requests. He wants relationship. Right after the kingdom of God came near debilitating illness and a needy community, where do you find Jesus? Alone with his father. Follow the story and keep following it. He has this timely withdrawal to be alone with his father over and over again. So he's only doing what the father's doing and only saying what the father is saying. He's literally bringing the kingdom of God and the rule and the reign of the king on earth as it is in heaven. Does that ring a bell? Yes. But before I can pray your kingdom come, I need to pray my kingdom go. Uh, Don't let despair or condemnation, or guilt, or shame rule this moment. That's not the way God comes to us this morning as he comes near. This is an opportune moment. Change your mindset. I wish we had more time to explore this, because you mightn't see the change tomorrow, but change your mindset right now. Make that commitment. And like I said earlier, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow or the next day, maybe not even next week or in a month, but soon, soon.
God will prove himself faithful and we will see the kingdom coming near and things changing. We will see testimony upon testimony. One final question for you as the worship team come up. Where do you need the kingdom of God to come near today? Hmm? Where do you need it? Where do you need this kingdom to come and impact your world or your life today? God is not holding out on you. Just close your eyes for a moment. Don't be distracted by this moment. Just close your eyes. Shut everything else out. It's time to do business with God. Holy Spirit, come. Come. We need you. Your people need you. Just close your eyes. You need to stand, you need to kneel, you need to sit, you need to lie, you need to move, you do whatever you have to do. God is not holding out for you, but he longs for deep connection and to get beyond the service of pleasantries. And he wants to get right down to exposing the heart. If your heart is breaking today, he comes with balm. He comes with an opportune moment. Right now, in this moment, the kingdom of God is near. The rule, the reign of the king is near. Are you willing to change your mindset? Are you willing to turn towards God? Are you willing to believe and rest in what he said? even when it doesn't seem to make sense. If needs be, do you need to cry out, God, help my unbelief? This is real good news. The kingdom of God has come near. I have a dream. I have a dream. And there's nothing more this little Irishman would love than this church fellowship, this body of redeemed lives to come and stand with me and help me and help me to help you so that we can see this kingdom of God come into our world and affect it like we have never seen before. Holy Spirit, would you just come and flood this place? We welcome you. We thank you that you are here. Touching every heart. God, we need to move. We need to move out of our mediocre, unbelieving lives. And we come to you, we raise up our hands like a child to its father. And we say, come. Come. Kingdom, come. As it is in heaven, let it 
vessel on the earth in Canmore, in Brisbane, in this place. May we know the presence and the power of God. The Lord bless you.